Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast. And once again, Som has ditched us. Andres, could you believe this? I don't know, man. I, I don't know what to expect from Som anymore. I think it's time to, to whip him <laughs> back into shape, or we need to send him back to the under-23s to start recording with them. Yeah, I think he needs to regain his pod fitness uh, once he comes back. I don't think we should let him right back into the first team. But in the meantime, we... Uh, we have brought in a low knee. There is no transfer ban for the Romans Empire <laughs> podcast, so that's a good thing. We'd like to welcome Jad Sufan to the podcast, fellow Middle Eastern. What's up, Jad? How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on the pod, boys. I'm here to talk some Chelsea. It's The pleasure is all ours, my man. So, uh, special episode today for all of our lovely listeners. Uh, Andres has been kind enough to write the script for us yet again. So this is two weeks running now. Andres, you've been on a roll, man. I love these. I love the way these scripts look. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the lead. You get the keys to the podcast today. So let's get right to it. All right. So I'm shocked. Zach forgot to mention that. Welcome back to the Romans Empire. This is where we talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Ha, so that's for, what I'm talking about. Yeah. For today's podcast, we'll be talking about the. Match against Leicester City this part this past Sunday, and I'll just get right to it with the starting eleven. We had Kepa, Ariza Balaga, and goal. A back four of Aspie, Christensen, Zuma, and Emerson. A midfield three of Conte, Jorginho, and Mount. And a front three of Pedro, Giroud, and Pulisic. So many people had questions of what the formation was. They saw Mount in there and thought, oh, this is a 4-2-3-1. But in reality, it was a 4-3-3 with Mount taking Kovacic's role for midweek as a left center mid and having a little bit of freedom to go forward. So I just want to start with you, Jad. What are what were your thoughts about the starting 11? Was there any surprises? Were you expecting anything different? Um, for the most part, um, pretty standard formation of what I thought coming into the game. Um, with the Giroud and Tammy and, I guess, Batshuayi on the fringes, um, you kind of never know who's going to who's gonna start nowadays. I guess Giroud earned it with the goal on the weekend. Um, but now it's kind of fresh, you know. But sorry, last year you always thought you knew who was coming. But, um, you know, I even had an inkling that maybe uh, Frank would go for Tammy since, uh, you know, he had the off-the-field issues and you want to get his confidence up. You know, you, you put the confidence in him and give him a start. But um, either way, not too disappointed about that. Um, the rest of the lineup, I was glad to see Mountain there continue to have some youth in the lineup. And then I guess starting with the back or finishing with the back line, um, patience is running, wearing thin with Aspilicueta, but I guess we'll get to that later. And Zach, what about you? What were your thoughts on the 11? Um, to be honest, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't more rotation in the squad. I mean, we talked about it last week going into the Liverpool match, how, you know, we would hope that Lampard would uh, would rotate the squad, and it didn't really seem like he did that. Um, so I'm not going to lie, I, I was kind of worried going into the match because there were a lot of players out there that did play the full 120. There was no rotation in the back line. Um, Conte played 120 minutes at midweek, uh, basically on one leg, and then had to play another 90 on, uh, on, on Sunday. So, um I wasn't too, too surprised with the result based on the lineup that Frank picked. I mean, I got to be honest, but in the future, I definitely think that 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 Frank will uh, will learn from this mistake because, you know, our foot was was firmly down on the gas pedal for the first 20 minutes. But we just seemed to run out of gas. Yeah, I know, definitely. And I think part of the lack of rotation comes from the fact that we are missing five, six first team 
uh, players who are still recovering or getting back to match fitness. But I'm going to jump in and give a couple of the overview and match stats of the game. So possession was split evenly 50%. Chelsea had 14 shots to Leicester's 12. Chelsea created 11 chances just like Leicester did. Uh, And Chelsea created two big chances versus Leicester's three. The passing numbers were almost exact. So, I mean, as stats go, this is as even as it can get. And if you didn't watch, you probably thought this was back and forth battle for 90 minutes. But it was a bit of a different story than that, being more of a tale of two halves. Um, Jad, is there anything that that you want to highlight as a general statement in this game? Yeah, I mean, just off the outset, big picture overview. I mean, the first 25 minutes were just so entertaining. Um, And it it really is different than what we saw last year. Um, You just see a lot more direct football, uh, penetrating football. You see backs making runs through the center of the defense. I mean, I saw Emerson get forward so many times, and it's it's kind of refreshing to see, you know. We did get bored sometimes with Sari last year, but um, I I myself was still a big Sari fan. But uh, you just see a little bit more direct football. We targeted Giroud a lot in the first 25 minutes, and I feel like we got away from that. Um, pinging the ball up to Giroud and having Mount and, and the guys run off of him. Um, so that was refreshing to see. Obviously, I, I definitely agree with Zach. I mean, you can just tell the guys were gassed at the end. I mean, mentally and physically, um, making mental lapses. Um, and definitely, I mean, even the last five minutes, ten minutes, guys were struggling just to get up the field. So um, it was surprising to see, again, you know, no rotation, I guess. But uh, – I think the first 25 minutes gives us a lot of hope and kind of gave us even more of a picture of what Frank envisions us like to look like and play. I mean, very direct, um, but still, you know, passing the ball around and uh, making penetrating runs, which I like, I really love to watch. So. Zach. Yeah. That's it. Zach. Um, I mean, it was definitely a match similar to the last two we've seen under Frank where, I mean, we've seen both extremes. It feels like we've kind of blown hot and cold, right? Um, maybe there's a sense of fatigue that kicked in. I mean, I alluded to it earlier. Jad, you agreed with me. I mean, I think we could all agree that, that that fatigue was definitely an issue in this match. But I think one thing we have to keep constantly reminding ourselves, and especially if you go on, uh, if you went on social media after the match, let's remind ourselves that this is a project season. We're only two games into the Premier League season, and we seem to already be focusing on the negatives. We seem to already be talking about the pressure that Lampard's under, the lack of goals in the squad, Dave's defending, and so on and so forth. But I actually want to talk about some of the positives. Why don't we focus on that? The first 25 minutes is definitely something that we could build on moving forward into the season. Yes, I think the squad still needs to regain that proper match fitness. I don't think it's there yet. Yes, we still have key players out. I mean, you got Loftus-Cheek, you got Rudiger, you got Cho, you got Reese James. I mean, all those guys listed above are players that could arguably make a push for the starting 11 right from the get-go if they were healthy. And let's take one step back and actually analyze our opponents. Leicester are a damn good side, and frankly, we should be counting our lucky stars that it only ended 1-1. If it wasn't for James Madison's just absolute blip in front of goal and and, and, and uh, Zuma's ridiculous seven-and-a-half-foot karate kick in midair in, extra t- in, in added time, I mean, we probably would have lost this match. And I listened to uh, the Sky Sports podcast, and yes, I know, shoot me. Um, but, you know, they were interviewing James Madison after, and he was alluding to the fact that the Leicester players 
felt terrible after that match. They felt that that match slipped through their fingertips. And realistically, in a in a 1-1 scenario like that, where we basically got played off the park for 70 minutes of the match, we were lucky to go 1-1. I think that's actually us squeezing out a result and grinding out a result as opposed to us just playing poorly. Leicester are a good side, and this is going to happen throughout this season. We know we're not as strong as we used to be, and uh, pushing for the top six is going to be difficult. And now, I mean, we talked about a couple seasons ago, the top four expanding to the top six. Could it arguably be expanding to the top eight or the top half? I mean, I think this could be the season uh, where we finally see that. I totally agree, and especially picking back and off – or. In- and specifically the uh, Chelsea negativity on Twitter. I mean, it's just exhausting. I mean, I don't, I don't get the negativity going around about Tammy Abraham. He's come on, he's worked his ass off, and he's been uh, holding the the ball up real well. I mean, he's doing all you can other than scoring goals. He's knocked the post in the first couple minutes of the Man United game, and he's so close to scoring. I mean, if we're gonna put our youth in there, we can't expect them, and we can't have evaluations on them after 110 minutes. I mean. Give the man a chance. Give him half a season. Let's see what he can do. And from there, he's still young. He can go on loan if, if needed. But, I mean, I see all the quality in him to, you know, be a top player for us. And um, I just think the negativity is just, you know, it's just – it's exhausting. Yeah, I, I think part of the Twitter thing is that we get so caught up in the small, big – positive things that we let ourselves get carried away and think that we're about to lift the Champions League again. You know, Frank Lampard steps into Stanford Bridge as our manager. Everyone's just, the emotions are running high. And I think the more our emotions run high as a fan base, the less our brain is working. And I agree. It's, it's incredible that two games in that there is now a plethora of Lampard out accounts on, on Twitter. It is disgusting, but enough about those wannabe fans that are only spreading negativity before we get to our up and down section of the podcast, I want to take a quick moment to discuss the fact that Mason Mount scored our first goal under Frank Lampard. And yes, I called it. You are all welcome. But in reality, let's talk about Mason Mount. It's not about the fact that I definitely mentioned this last week on the pod, but the kid has been with Chelsea from the age of six and now at 20 years old, he has scored his first ever senior goal for Chelsea, and he looks like he's settled in with a first team with potential to, dare I say it, be the next Frank Lampard. And mm. but before I hand it off to you guys uh, and to get your thoughts on Mason Mount, I just want to say that I don't think that I've ever had such a connection to the players since perhaps the mid-2000s as I do right now because now with my longevity as a fan of Chelsea – I feel like I truly know these kids who have grown up to become part of the first team. Obviously, I adore Loftus-Cheek. Callum Hudson-Odoi kind of came into the scene a little bit later than the other names. But, I mean, Andreas Christensen and Mason Mount, these are – and Tammy Abraham. These are names that we've known for so long, and we've seen them grow up through the system. I am loving the fact that now they're actually coming in and doing their, their part for Chelsea. So, Zach, what, let, let me move it on to you. How, how are you feeling about uh, Mason Mount and the fact that, yeah, our academy boy has scored? Uh, well, it, it just reminds you of why you love the beautiful game, right? Like the desired nicking the ball off in Didi, the ability to stay on his feet while he's virtually falling over, blasting it across Casper Schmeichel, who's 
a very accomplished goalie at this level. I mean, for me, all of that aside, it was a celebration that stood out. I mean, it just brings back memories of playing club soccer in my youth days where, you know, you experience brotherhood firsthand with your teammates and you go to battle with these guys day in and day out. And, you know, and all these people, you know, you still talk to today and Andres and, and Jad, I'm sure, you know, you guys still talk to some of your soccer buddies and, and you guys understand that, you know, sort of that brotherhood that forms. And for me, Seeing the reaction of the teammates, seeing the reaction of Mason Mount, the reaction of the fans in the stadium, everyone was just so pleased for him. I mean, you couldn't help but just smile cheek to cheek. It was one of those things where I didn't really celebrate when I saw him score his goal. I just sat there and smiled. And, it, you know, it, I don't care how I looked. I don't care if it looked, you know, weird or whatever. That was just my natural feeling. It's just so good to see, you know, a, a youth player who's been on loan and, and basically put to the test year in and year out now. I think it was, what, two or three years of loan spells now? I mean, he just looks fantastic. And, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest here, and, and this is definitely a hot take, but I just think he might be our second best player at the moment behind N'Golo Conte. I mean, hey, I, I'm going to take a step back and not say he's second. He's obviously one of our better players so far. But, but Jad, what, what are you thinking? How do you feel about Mason Mount? Yeah, I mean, it was just a heartwarming um, afternoon for him. I mean, you could tell also after Ndidi got the equalizer, he was so bummed that he didn't get the winning goal. And obviously, he didn't know if he, that we were going to get a winner. But you could just tell. I mean, he wanted it so bad. And just it brings you back to where um, we've had concerns in the past couple of years about people caring. There is just no question that Mason Mount's going to give everything for the club, for the badge. I mean, he's he's just... He's just someone you want on your team and your club coming up through the youth system. And it kind of gives you hope for the future. I mean, you see these guys in Loftus-Cheek and Cho. I mean, these are guys that are also going to play for the badge. And, I mean, we are so lucky. And you can kind of see in the future that we are so lucky to have these guys. And if they stay on and they develop under uh, under Frank, hopefully, um, we could have a homegrown side that's competing for Champions League and Premier League titles. So, um yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm excited to see what the future holds. I mean, I cannot wait until the Norwich game uh, just to see who starts. Who, how's everyone going to play? I mean, I haven't been this excited about a team in a while, and we're not even supposed to be that good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just excited for the season, excited to see Mount play, excited to see Loftus-Cheek come back. I mean, what an end to the season he had. And, um, yeah, hudson Odoi. I mean how much more hype can you get? If it was up to Bayern Munich, he'd be their number 10 right now. So um, we've got some talent in the squad, no doubt. And um, we should be able to stay alive this year. I mean, it might not be top four, but I think we can compete for it. Once we get these guys back into the, into the lineup and get some of our injury problems sorted out. I mean, there's no telling what, what we can do. So super excited for the rest of the season. Jad, I think that's a good point. You know, the last couple seasons, I think our biggest criticism of the squad was we would we would constantly be going up and down, right? We'd have a title-winning season where we'd win a few trophies, achieve great things, and then the following season we'd sort of have this hangover where it's almost inevitable that we would collapse around Christmas time. Now, even though the results haven't gone our way so far, I, I think it's something that that's definitely worth mentioning. We can always count on these kids to go out and give a 110% no matter what. And, uh, and I think that's priceless, especially nowadays where you know, we talk about this negativity and this dark cloud that seemed to hover over Chelsea, mostly because of social media, but um, also regular media. 
But, you know, th this is definitely a building block for us. I don't think it's a, just a building block for the players, but I think it's also a building block for the fans as well. I think, just like Andres said earlier, we're starting to feel connected for the first time in a very, very long time. And I remember last season we were recording a podcast, and I remember saying specifically, you know, this is the most disconnected I have ever felt from the club, you know, in all my years supporting them. And the fact that we were able to rebound this year, and, uh, and, and not necessarily in terms of results, but in terms of sort of reigniting that flame and, 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 and reminding me why I love Chelsea so much, it, it's just so great to see. And it's, to be completely honest, it's long overdue. Yeah, one, one final note that I feel like we have to drop in talking about this Chelsea and, and the English identity. Mount's goal is the first time since 1996 that Chelsea have an English manager that has an English player score. And back then it was Glenn Hoddle as manager with Dennis Weiss scoring. So I'm sure that even our English fans are more than excited to see some of that backbone of English players make it back to the first team. So... Um, moving on to our next section, we want to, just like last week, we want to address some of the concerns that we had from this game and then finish off on a high note. So, Jad, I'll let you start here. What was your main concern from Sunday's match? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, it's been undeniable. Um, I don't want to, you know, harp on it too much because he is our captain and he's done a lot for our club, but Aspilicueta has just been very disappointing to start the season. Um, I can almost count three or four goals this season already that have felt like he's played a big role in letting in. I mean, um, just, you know, losing Mark of in, in DD. I mean, um, I remember one goal, uh, I think it was the Daniel James goal in, man, uh, in the main United game that, you know, just committed way too far up the field, thought he could track back against Pogba and just, you know, didn't get there. And then we're left um, with a disadvantage in numbers. So um, maybe just more conservative, um, from Aspilicueta, maybe staying back. And then when he does go up, I mean, his service has just been so poor. It feels like those Alvaro Morata connection days have been, you know, three, four, five years ago, years ago because, I mean, he's just not connecting on those crosses. He's hitting the first man every time. So just want to see more from Aspilicueta. Obviously, it seems like Reese James may be taking his spot, but who knows when he's coming back. We need more consistency from Aspilicueta. And if it, did, if it doesn't come, I mean – Hell, we might have to switch to a back three and uh, with Christensen, Zuma, and uh, Emerson because um, the liability is just high right now off you know, the first couple games. We've got a lot of season to go. He could obviously improve, and no doubt he's a good leadership um, figure in our, in our dressing room, but uh, I'd just like to see more from SP. Um, I mean, I was going to address the SP issue, but I think that's, you know, I think that's the obvious one, right? But um, something I noticed in this game is we definitely have an issue closing down number 10s. Um, if if we come up against a team that plays with a number 10 like we did against Man United and Leicester, you know, Pogba and Madison basically ran riot on us both matches. Um, that's a problem. And, and I noticed time and time again, especially in that second half of this game, James Madison would pick up the ball right in between the lines time after time i mean he must have he must have been able to turn with the ball in space in between the lines at least seven or eight times in that second half alone and uh to be completely honest that's unacceptable especially when you got a player like james with james madison's quality someone that could shoot the ball from far away or or, or uh or, or beat someone with speed or trickery um but something i noticed and i think a reason why this is happening is because conte's actually deployed a little bit higher in this system um 
similar to uh, who he who shall not be named. Um, to be, I don't mind that, and uh, I don't because Conte is fantastic at pressing. Now, I'm I'm you know I'm gonna take a step back and say I don't mind that as long as the rest of the team is pressing appropriately, and that's not happening. So this little half-ass press where you know we have three or four players pressing in certain areas and then they break through our lines and then our whole defense just kind of falls apart and and and, uh, and basically shit hits the fan, that's an issue. And that's something that has to be resolved. And I think Frank and Jody are definitely looking into that. I think them bringing on Kovacic for Jorginho was an attempt to remedy it. Unfortunately, Kovacic just couldn't get up, get into the flow of the game. Um, and we were up against it. I think we only had two shots on two shots, period, uh, since Conte sprayed that shot wide from from Giroud's flick. But you know, we were lucky Madison didn't punish us more, and it was just driving me up the wall watching that, watching watching that match and seeing how many times he was he was able to pick the ball up in space. I mean, it's 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 almost unacceptable. And when you look at the rest of their of Leicester's midfield compared to ours. They weren't as mobile as ours because you look at a guy like Yuri Tielemans, as good as he is on the ball and his ability to pick out a pass anywhere, the kid's phenomenal. He's not mobile. He, he can't get about the pitch up and down. Yeah, Chowdhury can, indeed he can, James Madison can, but there's there's just no excuse for us to get overrun in the midfield for 70-plus minutes with no remedy. And I don't know if you're going to chalk that one off to – to Frank's, you know, uh, lack of experience at the at this level, or are you going to tip your hat to Brendan Rodgers, who's actually a decent manager, or are you just going to kind of push that one under the rug and say, you know, this team is still trying to get their shit together. We're still trying to find some sort of identity. Moving forward, I do think the high press could work. I mean, you look at the first 25 minutes, and that's enough evidence to tell you that maybe there's something that we can build on there. Maybe that's something that can be sustainable as the season goes on. But we do have to proceed with caution because you look at teams like Liverpool and how they were uh, how they were burning out towards the end of their seasons. Teams like Tottenham as well, um, teams that like to deploy a high press and win the ball high up the pitch, um, they they run out of gas. And you know Liverpool seemed to get their shit together when Klopp took his foot off the gas a little bit and said, hey, maybe sometimes we could sit back and defend and just hold our shape and then spring teams on the counter. So. Um, I, I think I think we're having a little identity crisis. I don't want to. I think crisis is a little harsh of a word, but for lack of a better term, right now, I think that's definitely what it is. And and we're still trying to figure out the kinks and and iron out the wrinkles. So I'm not worried yet, and and I'm not going to be worried for you know the whole season pretty much. But um, this is something that needs to be improved sooner rather than later. Something that needs to be addressed and, and definitely should be on top of the list. But Andres, what do you think? Yeah, I actually want to piggyback of what you were saying. My my biggest concern is still that trying to find the balance between those extremely energetic first 15 minutes and then figuring out how to set up defensively from there. Um, I've now quoted Newman from Nami Footy like five times since we started this l- last season, but he pointed out that our strategy between the United game and the Leicester game was very similar and the same issues arise versus how we set up against Liverpool. With Liverpool, we had a, a more of a mid to low block and the spaces between the lines were a lot more compact, which is why we seem to frustrate them more so than how United and Leicester were just able to find tons of space starting at like the 50th minute. So for me, it's, you know, how can Frank make sure that the, he can get the most out of the fact that we do have a very young and energetic squad without having such big gaps because you mentioned it the number 10 is just sitting between the two lines and it's just 
causing so much trouble running at our defense. Is it getting the defensive line further up the pitch? Like, what? where is that disconnect that the high pressure doesn't connect with the fact that our line is so far back? So for, for me, is this, and this is a small concern. This is something that can definitely be worked on in the boardroom, in, the pra- in practice. Like, I don't see this. This should not be an issue 10, 12 matches into a season. I'm just saying that we need to figure out if we want to be more of a mid to low block team versus a high pressure, high line team. And once we commit to one or the other, I feel like a lot of the issues we have defensively will get ironed out. But the last concern I want to talk about, it's actually, um, it's actually brought up by our rep ultra Ron at bone daddy. Cool. And here's what he had to say. He bone goes, daddy deluxe bone daddy deluxe. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what he had to say. He goes, William, dot, 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 WTF, man. Looked like he didn't even want to be on the pitch. Was slow and just didn't have any heart. Because he got the number 10 shirt, he thinks he can just pussyfoot around. Fuck that, man. And, again, these are Ron's words, not mine. But I just want to quickly start off by addressing this, and I'll pass it on to you guys. For one, what I'm about to say does not mean that we drew this match because of William. I'm just extremely, extremely disappointed with his 20 minutes. Going into his season, this season, Lampard was telling, oh, everyone gets a clean slate. Uh, I'm going to judge everyone by what they do for me now. And on top of that, I was waxing lyrical about how William on the left wing is going to be a more confident and valuable player for us than we're used to. And then we get this performance. Like, how can William look as tired as the teammates that played 120 minutes at the point he came on the pitch? They were already at the 200-minute mark. He's supposed to come in as fresh legs and add energy to a very, very fatigued side. The stage was definitely set for a quote-unquote leader to come in and make a difference. I'm not asking for him to score the winner in the 90th or assist three goals in 20 minutes, but... I'm telling you, I, I felt like we had a more tired player when William came on than when he the, the other player was subbed out. I believe it was Pulisic at that point. So I, I was just baffled by the lack of desire, lack of aggressiveness, and just he was just the first one to throw his hands up and be like, what the heck? Just not fighting for getting those three points. So that's how I feel about William. Jad... I'll let you take over from here. I was just very frustrated. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just terrible. I mean, not just on the offensive side, he gave the ball away numerous times in only 20 minutes. But, I mean, I remember just times where Chowdhury was just, you know, five yards away from him. He wasn't even making the effort to get back, uh, get a man behind the ball and uh, protect our, you know, at least our one point. It was just, it was just not, not promising for uh, the rest of the season because – William's supposed to be one of our leaders, like you said, and um, nothing on Sunday um, gave me hope for that. Um, definitely would have rather seen Pulisic play the full 90 than have William come on. And and unlike other seasons, I think um, Lampard has the patience and the, or I guess the time from the board that he's he's going to be given a bit longer of a rope to, if he doesn't see more from William, he's not going to play. And that's the bottom line. Um, we've just got too many guys coming up at that position to where if he's not putting out his 110%, there's Hudson Odoi, there's Pulisic, there's Pedro that can play in his position. 
and even Loftus Cheek can play in that advanced middle role with those other guys on the outside. So, um, yeah, it's 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 not hopeful for the future, but at the end of the day, I am confident that Lampard will do the right thing if he's not um, putting out more. So, I mean, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna kind of play devil's advocate here, and this is genuinely how I feel. As much as I understand what you guys are saying, I mean, we have to remember Williams coming off an injury. He's not match fit. He's missed most of preseason. Um, and, and and he's still trying to get his feet wet in this Premier League season. Yes, I know that's not an excuse. I know when you come on in a match like this, the least you could do is show a little bit of design, a little bit of gusto. But for me, William looked like a player who just had absolutely no confidence whatsoever. And uh, that's pretty shocking considering that you know, we gave him the number 10 shirt. We basically passed the torch on to him and said, this season, you're going to be our number 10. You're going to be our go-to player in the attacking third. Um, and uh, we didn't really see it in this game. And I'm not worried. I don't think William's a shit player. I'm not going to go ahead and slate him. I'm actually going to I'm actually gonna give him a pass. And uh, I know a lot of people will probably jump on me for that. I know Ron's definitely going to tweet at me after he hears this. But, you know, it's genuinely the way I feel. I mean, when you really think about it, Leicester was firing on all cylinders towards the end of that match, especially when Willian came on. I mean, we were really, really up against it. And I, I don't know how many times I've repeated myself on this show saying we were lucky not to concede two or three or possibly even four. So you're coming on in a match in no, in that situation. You're not, you're not 100% fit, coming off an injury. Who knows how fit he is? That's another thing. I mean, from what I understand, it was a muscular issue. Is that correct? So, I mean, if it was a muscular issue, that's something that players really struggle with in terms of confidence. I mean, I know they're drastic examples, but, I mean, you look at guys like Kingsley Coman or like Usman Dembele went down this week again with another hamstring injury. So that's something that might be in the back of his head. He is getting up there in age, so we might see in, uh, those niggling injuries a little bit more. But I am giving him a pass. Um, and to be honest, in this situation, I think it was one of those things where – if Frank had Cho available, I don't think Willian would have played. I think even if Frank had RLC available, I don't think Willian would have played because, you know, Pulisic played most of the match at midweek. Same with Pedro. Clearly they were gassed. Mason Mount started to look gassed towards the end. So um, maybe in a match like this, I think Cho definitely would have been suitable. He could spring on the counter. That's, of course, if he was healthy. But I think Frank just needed to play Willian out of necessity and said, you know what, we're going to take this chance. Let's see what he can give us, and then we can kind of assess where he's at from there. So I think <laughs> I think where we are now is at the point where we could look at Willian and say, I think he needs another three or four matches off the bench before we could even consider putting him in a starting 11, just so he could gain his confidence back. Because we know Willian is a very fragile player mentally. You know, he does get slated a lot uh, every single season since he's been at the club. He's been slated, slated one way or another. So I think we have to tread carefully here. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically my take on the whole William situation. So if anyone's listening and you disagree with me, let me know why. I mean, I'd love to argue with you on Twitter, but we all know I'm right. So it's a debate, <laughs> debate, Zach. It's not an it's argument, debate. it's a debate. It's debate. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a debate to us, but to everyone that's, you know, uh, that's typing away on their keyboards in their mom's basement, uh, talking, sh you know, talking shit about Tammy and they're, they're the same people that are probably talking shit about William. So. No offense, nope. guys. I know you didn't talk shit about Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now to the part that we actually enjoy, and let's discuss some of the building blocks and the positives that we've all been kind of alluded to so far. So I'll go ahead and start because one of our other Rep Ultras kind of worked his question into who I was going to talk about. And Nick Lenartsen, all the way from Switzerland, asked us, 
Sweden. Has Zuma bounced back? Well, he lives in Switzerland, though, right? Yeah, he lives in Switzerland, but he's a yeah, Swede, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have to shout out Sweden, though. <laughs> Fair enough. He asked if Zuma had bounced back from the first game, and my quick answer is definitely. Uh, what I wanted to point out was the fact that the Christian-Zuma duo is looking a lot more solid since that United match. I think both players are much more confident in themselves than I would have expected at this point. And while I think that mental fatigue leads to those gaps creating between the lines, and that's something we're going to work on, I think both of our young center backs have already shown vast improvement, and they've shown a lot more composure under pressure. I mean, we were getting barreled by all these players, and, and you had the one play that comes to mind was Vardy running up the left sideline and Christensen staying with him toe-to-toe and actually forcing a foul when if Vardy gets around him, he would have had a one-on-one on Kepa. So little things like that show the fact that these guys are ready and are confident in what they can do and for what Frank is asking of them. So to me, that was a huge positive from this match. I'm going to agree. I think I think that Zuma-Christensen partnership is definitely one to look forward to. Um, for me personally, I think the most refreshing thing about that partnership more than anything is the fact that we just have sheer athleticism um, in the back. You know, Christensen, yes, he's not the quickest ever, but he's definitely athletic enough to to keep up with Jamie Vardy regardless of his age. I mean, the guy's still rapid. Um, Christensen was phenomenal in this game, by the way. I just want to have a quick shout-out to him because, to be completely honest, I think he was probably our best player on the night. Um, But going back to Zuma... Um, and, and that athleticism, that's something that we've been missing the last couple seasons. I mean, a few years ago, we had Cahill, Aspie, and David Luiz in our, in our back three, and we weren't the most mobile. And I feel like a big reason why we were able to succeed with them is because Conte was able to, to, to fit them in a formation that could essentially protect them, protect their weaknesses and, uh, and, and not have them so exposed. And last year, I mean, we saw how, uh, how poor the defending could be, especially when we play a high line, when we had a guy like David Luiz who can't really track back. Um, but now we we have three legitimate – actually four if you count Tamori. We have four legitimately athletic center backs who are both positionally aware and uh, two of whom we know could play the ball. I mean the jury's still out on Tamori. I'm not really sold on Zuma's ball-playing ability. But you know, going back to Lampard's playing style, I don't really think that's something that Lampard's looking for. I think Lampard is looking for that more old-school center back partnership where it's not two technical center backs – uh, that are playing next to each other. Rather, it's more of a stopper sweeper type thing where you got a brute guy who can just beat the shit out of people and Kurt Zuma and win every single aerial duel. And then you got your smart player, the guy who can man mark, the guy who could cut off passing lanes and Andreas Christensen. So it, it's definitely a good combo to have. And the fact that Rudiger played today with the U23s even gives us more to look forward to in the future. I mean, just imagining a back line of, you know, or a center back partnership of Rudiger and Christensen moving forward into the season, you throw Zuma into that mix in rotation. I mean, I, I genuinely have no problem with that. And I think we might have one of the deepest uh, center back. Um, uh, we might have the most depth at center back in the premier league. I mean, I would even go as far to say that. So uh, definitely something to look forward to as the season goes on. But Jad, I mean, what, what did you see specifically that stood out to you with that partnership? I mean, what exactly is uh what exactly are we are we so excited about? No, I I totally agree. I mean, after the Man United game, Zuma obviously didn't have the greatest outing, but um, I was never worried. Honestly, not trying to sound like a little cocky bitch, but uh, I mean, I I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't worried about uh Zuma. I mean, he's he's proven in the Premier League. He had a hell of a season at Everton last year. He's athletic. He's got all the tools to to you know develop under Frank and. 
you know, who knows, maybe after a year or two, uh, Peaky Blinders version of John Terry can come over and um, help these guys out more. But, that, that was uh, awesome. <laughs> but uh, I'm also looking forward to Rudiger coming back. Rudiger is one of my favorite players in this club, and uh, he's athletic. He's got leadership, and he's one of those guys, as we've discussed before, you know he gives everything out. I mean, he tweets hashtag hustle on basically every post. So um, my one other one of my biggest positives is uh, Emerson. Emerson – um, kind of felt forgotten after a couple of years at Chelsea. I mean, he felt like he was always kind of a fringe player, kind of like a Zappa Costa of what we have now. Just was always going to get, you know, FA Cup outings. But he's really developed and taken grasp of the opportunity he's been given. Um, he's he's uh, reliable in the back now. And, I mean, there are some runs that he takes forward where you always think that whoever's chasing after him is going to catch up, and he just shrugs them off and keeps going. I mean, Emerson, for me, has been a huge plus so far and um i guess another one is just seeing conte play 90 minutes after 120 and you know not getting hurt i mean it seems like he might be finally over the injury bug and um he's obviously is his importance to our team is absolute so um emerson and conte's health is probably the two biggest positives from um this week and we've touched on mount but um yeah we've got positives going into norwich so I just want to pose a quick thought to both of you guys, and I want to see what you think. So, I mean, we all know what Frank is about, and, and we know that, you know, he's built this team basically on desire, right? He wants his players to be fit, and he wants them to put in 110% every single game. Jad, you mentioned that Rudiger basically hashtags hustle on every single Instagram <laughs> post. Hashtag hustle, hashtag always believe. I fucking love that, and I honestly think Frank Lampard's going to fucking love it too. Do you see Rudiger possibly wearing the armband at some point this season? And and would you guys be opposed to it? Because I, for one, would give him the armband the second he comes back. <laughs> and and that's not a knock on Dave, but it's just to make an example uh, for the rest of the younger lads on the team that this is the type of player that I am looking for as a manager. So what do you guys think? No, no opposition whatsoever. I mean, Rudiger is going to start, and that's there's no doubt about that. He's he's got the veteran leadership. Um, you know, he hasn't been there for, you know, 10 years, but he's been there more than anyone else in the back line other than Aspie. And it seems like Reese James is destined to take Aspie's spot. So Rudiger is, a, you know, a great uh, leadership figure in the locker room. And I definitely I, I would I would be 110 percent behind Rudiger grabbing the band. Uh, for me, I know we're talking about hustle and stuff like that. And and yeah, Rudiger is definitely a contender for it. Eventually, one player that I think could surprise many at eventually wearing the armband for me is Jorginho. Mm -hmm. I think that he is forgotten as an emotional leader because he is extremely vocal and very emotional when he like, you know, you see his pose, you see how, how he reacts. I mean that, that three second clip of how he looked at the penalty during the super cup, like freaking chills, dude. I, that was wild. Like the dude's nuts. He loves the game. He's also a very tactical leader. And the fact, again, he's been vocal since day one. Obviously, back then it was because he was kind of sorry's coach on the pitch. But even now, he still talks points, tells players where to go. I think that, obviously, when a player wears the armband, that only gives them more freedom to do so. And I think because he's already doing that sort of thing, uh, I would let him wear the armband here and there. Maybe not be a popular choice based on how people treated him last season. But, I mean, that, that guy's a warrior. He's not the quickest dude or anything, but I, I think that he also deserves a nod if and when 
Aspie needs a break or isn't on the side for, for getting the armband. See, it's a okay. tricky situation to be in. Sorry, Jad, but it, it's, it's a tricky situation to be in if you're Aspie because right now, I mean, you're kind of experiencing probably one of the lowest points of his career in terms of uh, his 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 ascendancy at the club. I mean, in his first five, six seasons, I mean, he was basically playing out of position for the first three or four years with us, winning titles and doing great things. And then eventually moving to center back, changing his position completely, being the best out of the three center backs in our title winning season under Conte. And now he's having this dip and it's very difficult for Aspie to deal with. But I'm curious to see how Frank Lampard deals with it moving on because it doesn't look like his form is going to change anytime soon. I mean, to me personally, I see uh, the only way we can get the, any remnants of Aspie back would be to take him out of the firing line for an extended period of time and just say, hey, have a seat on the bench, clear your mind, relax, just enjoy watching football for a while. And then when you're ready, we'll get you right back in when you're refreshed and when you feel good. And 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 Frank is definitely that type of manager where he'll put his arm around a player and say, hey, you know, you need this. It's good for you. Trust me. You know, I, I think he cares about the mental state of his players more than previous managers, which I absolutely love. But just to see how he's going to manage the return of Rudiger, because I'm just anticipating Rudiger to just take the back line by storm and just completely take command of this team. He's the only player in our squad that goes batshit crazy when someone doesn't pick up their marker or when we concede a goal. He reacts like a fan, and that's why we love him so much as fans. And I think once he returns, Frank's going to take a look and say, hey, I might have another future captain here, but how he deals with possibly transitioning from Aspi to Rudiger or uh, bringing Rudiger in a more uh, kind of like a co-captain role, similar to one that like Brana had when he was when when he was playing with us, so um, it's going to be interesting to see as the season goes on. But sorry, I cut you off earlier, Jad. What were you going to say? Yeah, just real quick. I mean, I think um, the real guys who know football know Jorginho's a top player, and he's he's capable of you know being the captain. But at a big club at Chelsea, you kind of have to think as as a shitty as it is, you kind of have to think about you know, the media and how people think. And I think it would just be smart and maybe a battle that he doesn't need to fight right now is yeah. uh, is making Jorginho the captain. Um, give it, Make it a popular choice. Rudiger is just as deserving. And um, maybe give Jorginho another year to prove to um, maybe some of these fans that he is worth it like we all know he is. So um, I guess that's just my quick point. You don't need to fight the battle if you don't have to. So. Could Mason Mount possibly be a captain in the future? In the future? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's a couple of people further down just because ahead of him I would put Loftus-Cheek. I would put ahead of him. You would put Loftus-Cheek of, ahead of Mason Mount in terms of le- just sheer leadership ability? Definitely. I mean, Loftus-Cheek, yeah, he's, he's just not here, so we haven't seen it. But you yeah. talk about guys that celebrate and, and want the best for Chelsea and the badge. The guy – had every chance to leave the club and not once did he lose focus of what he wanted most. And that was to represent Chelsea football club. Like the, the desire to be a blue and to make it through injury, through multiple loans, through managers playing him out of position. I think that he has to be ahead of Mason Mount and and others, others too. I mean, Mason Mount wasn't even the captain when he was in the Academy team there. Reese James was ahead of him. Fikayo Tomori was ahead of him. There's other players that I think have more of the leadership aspect. Obviously, I think that Mason Mount's the kind of player that gets you off off your seat and on, on your feet. But 
there's a difference. You know, that's why, you know, Eden Hazard was never really Chelsea captain, right? It, there, there's there's different roles each player plays, and I think that he's more of the entertainer, not so much the the leader in the locker room. Yeah, and let's not forget, I mean, basically, Loftus-Cheek started only, you know, the second half of last year, and he backed 10 goals um, throughout the season. So, I mean, his, his play last year uh, spoke for itself. Everyone knew he was supposed to be starting, and, you know, finally got his opportunities the second half of the season. Um, I think, honestly, I think when he comes back, he might be our second best player. Uh, yeah. Conte and Conte lost his cheek in the middle. I mean, if you have a Conte lost his cheek, Jorginho midfield, there's not much better than that in the Premier League or around the world. So I'm, I'm excited for that. <laughs> That's a bold, bold statement, Jab. But I honestly, I got to agree. But I mean, going back to your comment about lost his cheek being our second best player, I just want to put it on record. I don't think Mason Mount's our second best player at yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. Period. Just like based on form right now, I mean, I, I, I mean, of course he's playing for his his idol, you know, that he's been playing with the last year and a half. So he clearly understands what Frank is trying to do, and it's showing on the pitch that you know he's just one or two steps ahead of everyone else in terms of Frank's ideas actually clicking. But you no, know, something else I want to mention. We talk about the midfield and, and, and the potential partnerships there. We haven't seen much of Ross Barkley since uh, since the first match of the season against Man United, right? Um, Mason Mount is keeping him out of the side. And now when Loftus-Cheek comes back, that's going to pose a real problem for Ross Barkley because, to be, to be honest, I think he's had his chance. I think he's had enough chances. And, Sam, if you're listening, this is one giant fuck you to you. It's like I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of over it, you know? It's, it's gotten to the point where – you know, we've seen enough of him in different positions. And yes, I understand he played against Man United out of position. Yes, I understand that maybe he had too much, too many directions under Maurizio Sarri. But Lampard is slowly and quietly alienating players without making a big fuss in the press. And we've seen it with Michi. With Michi. Um, we've seen it with Marcus Alonso. Now we're starting to see it um, with, with with Ross Barkley. There's just clearly players that he doesn't favor and players that won't really figure into the mix at all this season. And now, especially when Loftus-Cheek comes back, I mean, I know it's still a while away, but, I mean, do you guys think we're going to see more of Ross Barkley? It's something that they that the commentary mentioned as the, match was play, as, as the match was being played. I was like, why are they talking about someone that's not even on the pitch right now? Um, but where do you see Ross Barkley fitting into this mix? We see Kovacic playing really well. You know, Jad, you're a really big fan of Jorginho, as I am. Um, you know, N'Golo Conte's probably that one immovable object there. So where do you really see him figuring? I, I'm, I'm personally, I, I may be a bit cynical, but I'm not a huge fan of Barkley. I mean, I think yeah. he's he's just so inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get from him. I mean, the Man United game was dreadful. I was I was in the Chelsea bar in Austin just screaming, fuck you, Ross, at the top of my lungs. I could not believe how many <laughs> times he gave the ball away. It was just, it was frustrating. And, and like you said, I mean, We've got so many players at that position or that could play that position and can be so creative. Like, I don't see Ross Barkley really taking anyone on one on one V one or, you know, playing with, you know, strength, power. I just see him, you know, he'll, he'll get you a long range strike every once in a while. But um, honestly, his preseason was made up of a couple penalties and a couple bright moments. So um, I guess quickly, I wanted to touch on Mount real quick. I mean, we obviously know he isn't the second best player, but I think something we can all agree on is right now he's going to be in the side probably against Norwich because he's been the bright spot so far. So uh, yeah. for right now, he's 
I don't think he's droppable either. But we'll see what happens on sun or Saturday or Sunday. I mean, I'd even make the argument when Loftus Cheek comes back. Do you pull Mason Mount out right away? I don't Not think right so. Away. I, you were just talking think, about match fitness. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but but I think if you're Frank and Jad, I think you alluded to it earlier. When Loftus Cheek was at Palace, he played out wide, so it's a it's a position that he's somewhat familiar with. And maybe he could play in a role similar to like what James Madison was playing, where he starts on the left or he starts on the right and then slowly drifts to the inside and kind of works yeah. in tandem with another natural number 10, kind of like how Tielemans and, uh, and and James Madison do things. I think Frank could I, – I, I think that's something that Frank's going to look at, especially if we don't see the form pick up with William. And, you know, you, you similar to Ross Barkley, you don't really know what you're going to get from Pedro. He's either going to score – he's either going to be – a nine out of ten, or he's just going to be a five. Or so, he's going to dribble backwards and do uh, scissors until <laughs> he loses the ball. He'll make a yeah. 75-yard sprint all the way into his own penalty box to win the ball. He'll make a 35-yard <laughs> run by dribbling four players with the ball, and then he'll lose the ball, win it back again, <laughs> lose it again. It's just watching Pedro play is kind of like watching kids on a playground. You know how like they all just kind of mosh pit? They, they, they play like <laughs> mosh pit ball where someone kicks the ball really far and there's just 12 kids running into each other? That's kind of like what Pedro reminds me of. Like, it's funny. Sorry, I know I'm ranting a little bit, but in the first half, you know, the I forgot who was commentating on that game, but he said, you know, Pedro's just the model professional. Like, he gives it, he gives it his all every week. I actually don't think he's had a bad game. And I'm just thinking like, to myself, like, <laughs> what? Have you watched Chelsea in the last 18 months? I mean, this guy has been one of our main scapegoats, but. You know, I'm not slating him. I think he's a quality player, but and and to be honest, he does fit this Lampard style of play better than Willian does. But I think once Loftus Cheek comes back, I don't think he's necessarily going to be seeing a lot of minutes at the number ten role. I think he's going to be yeah. cutting in or drifting in from out wide. Well, I think yeah, I one mean, quick point before mm-hmm. we move on to Norwich is that I guess a luxury that we kind of forgot about is um, Lampard will change the formation and if he wants Mount yep. and Loftus Cheek in the same lineup, he's gonna make it happen. You know, yeah. I don't I could even see him playing Conte by himself in the middle and having, you know, Mount and Loftus Cheek play a advanced middle uh central role just against maybe a team that's gonna park the bus against us. So mm-hmm. it's just a, something to keep an eye on once he has all those um those weapons in his arsenal. Yeah, I was definitely going to ma- mention that as well. Right. And <laughs> I was going to mention that specifically the, the fact that we've seen the 4-4-2 diamond already. I wouldn't and mind seeing that again. Yeah. Loftus Cheek could play on the left side, Conte on the right side, Jorginho at the base, and Mount plays the number 10. So th- yeah. the possibilities are endless. So again, once we have a full fit, fully fit squad, it'll be good to see how we line up. But Jad mentioned it. Let's quickly touch base on Norwich. Um, I'll kind of give you as a rundown. Norwich now got their first victory this past weekend. They beat Newcastle 3-1. to And their forward, Timu Puki, is on absolute fire. Uh, I believe he's the first ever player to score four goals in his first two Premier League games in Premier League history. And he is currently sitting alongside Raheem Sterling as the top of the Golden Boot race with four goals. This man scored 29 goals in the championship last season. And he seems to be coming into the league as there's essentially no change for him. Again, four goals in two games is extremely impressive. Norwich also lost to Liverpool their very first match, but in re- I specifically remember their first 20 minutes were extremely impressive. Norwich is coming into this league hoping to play toe-to-toe with the big guns. They're confident after this weekend, so I don't know if we can really expect anything but a pretty 
you know, decent game. And uh, with that said, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Zach, what do you want to see from Chelsea when we visit Norwich on Saturday? And if you want, throw in a cheeky prediction in there. Um, I think I think this is a game where we could definitely kick off our season. I, I think our season actually starts against Norwich. I think it's a game that's definitely winnable. I think it's a game where we could score three, four, maybe even five goals if we approach it the right way. Um, I just think that uh, something that Frank or something that I want to see that, that that I think Frank should do is I want to work on pressing in smaller doses. I don't necessarily want to go a whole half or a whole match just trying to trying to press teams and trying to win the ball in the, in the attacking third. I want to be a little bit smarter. I think when the ball's in certain areas of the pitch, I think we should be pressing in zones. Um, and, and I think we'll be more effective at doing that. And I think we could afford to do that against a team like Norwich. So um, I guess that's what I would say. I want to see more effective pressing. I want to see smarter pressing. I just don't want to see players aimlessly running around trying to win the ball um, and, and, and create and, and basically um, basically putting ourselves in difficult positions. So uh, I'm going to go Chelsea 3-0. I think Timu Puki's reign is over. I think it's done. Um, with that being said, I, I do actually think he's class. He's not a crap player by any stretch. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go 3-0 Chelsea. And I think Christian Pulisic is going to be directly involved in two of our goals. Nice, nice. I love to hear that. Jack, Captain what about America. you? Um, yeah, some of the stuff I want to see is I want to see us get off to a fast start again. And I think it's um, it's hard to really forget about how tough the start of the season has been for us. United away with a bunch of young players making their first start in the Premier League for Chelsea. You've got... Uh, Liverpool and Istanbul just three days later, and that's a tough flight. And then you come come back, play Sunday with a emotional start to the season with um with Frank's first game at the Bridge and against Leicester City, a very formidable squad. So I think one full week of training um, will be very um, beneficial to the squad. And um, going to Norwich, I mean, I just want to see us get off to a very quick start like we did this this uh this past Sunday, and then keep it up and um, you know, it doesn't have to be as good as it was Sunday, but just kind of the same high pressure. Don't let Norwich get confidence in the game. If we get chances, we bag them and we put them away. Um, and I kind of hope we just get off to um, a fast start and get three points. Um, I do see it happening. I hope we win two zero. It's what I see happening. Um, and yeah, I can, I, I hope Rudiger's playing. I could see him scoring a header coming back and I would love to see Pulisic bag one. I mean, I, I think he's due. He's worked his butt off every game he's been in, and um, he's got the pace that can unlock, you know, a kind of park the bus, lower table side. So 2-0, Chelsea. I'll go Rudiger if he starts with a goal off a header, and I'll go Pulisic with a, with a goal on the counter. Oh, all right. I'll keep mine pretty short. You guys have kind of touched on, on what I would have said. I just want us to win, and I want us to win confidently. Um, for me, I hope Tammy can get a goal. Or at least an assist, just to get his confident confidence going. I really do Would think that he'll Tammy get. Goal. Yeah, I think he'll get some minutes. So hashtag Team Tammy. <laughs> exactly. So I, I mean, for our football hipsters out there, I do have to mention this. I'm sorry, I just can't resist it. But if we do have any football hipsters listening, uh, watching Christian Pulisic go go up against a young Max Aarons, who's like an up and coming fullback, is is going to be tasty. I yeah. think that's something that I'm looking forward to also. It's someone that nobody has really talked about this season. 
And when you look at when you actually look at all the three teams that got promoted uh, from the championship last year, it's actually the two teams that everybody's tipped to go back down who are doing pretty well. You know, you got Sheffield picked up an important win last week. They looked really good. And then you got Norwich who, who scraped out a win against a poor Crystal Palace side nonetheless. But or, or, I'm, I'm sorry, Newcastle side nonetheless. But still, a win is a win. And then you got a team like Aston Villa who a lot of people are saying might be able to finish within like that 16th to 14th spot struggling massively so let's not underestimate norwich um i do have bad memories at carroll road you know um just thinking back on you know the diego various diego costa shenanigans that happened there so um it, it'll be an interesting match but yeah i mean shout out to my football hipsters I'm, I'm gonna be keeping an eye on that matchup you know a young american versus a young english talent um should be fun